This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. Here's the question. How did one bizarrely eccentric guy become an existential threat to the massive religious establishment in Jerusalem. How did that happen? I guarantee you John the Baptist was just this scrawny guy, dressed strangely, eating strange food, but yet he's this huge threat. How did he, how did he become the big bad Baptist? How'd that happen? You know, as we look at, at John's life, John the Baptist, well, as we've said before, we know very little about his life. But as we just think about his ministry, he's, he's really a study in a verse in Zechariah 4.10. Zechariah 4.10, the Lord says this, Do not despise the day of small beginnings. John the Baptist's ministry was defined as a day of small beginnings. Let's, let's, just, let's just think about this. He's, he's there on the east side of the Jordan River, about 25 miles from Jerusalem. And by the way, as far as we can tell, it's identified as the spot where the Israelites were led into the promised land by Joshua for the first time. Throughout, throughout the beginning of this first chapter of John, we're getting these hints that, that John the Baptist, he's like a new Moses or a new Joshua, but he's there, he's in the right place, he's starting his ministry, and uh, who do you think he was preaching to the first day he began his ministry, we don't know for certain, but my guess is he was, he was preaching to the birds. He was preaching his message to the birds because nobody knew who he was. Nobody, nobody had heard of him. And there's a first day when he's there, and it's like a, a really lousy church plant. Nobody shows up except the preacher, right? So he's there. But he begins his ministry. He begins his work. And I think about, I wonder about, who was the first person he baptized? And how did that happen? It had to happen somehow like this, that there were a group of people traveling by and going by, and they see this crazy guy dressed really strangely, and he says, hey, hey, you! You need to repent. You need to turn back to God. You need to repent of your sins because the axe is laid at the root of the tree right now. You better repent. You better be baptized for the repentance of your sins as a sign before it's too late. And maybe just one of them, maybe just one of them was drawn by the Holy Spirit. You know, we know 
that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit from the time he was in his mother's womb. The Holy Spirit, he was moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, when the Holy Spirit's drawn folks and the folks is doing the, pre the teach preaching like John, there is an attraction, there's a draw in that one person, the first person, comes down into the water and is baptized by John and experiences something powerful. And maybe that person, uh, they're on their way into Jerusalem and they go, in, they go to Jerusalem, they go, we, I was just minding my own business and suddenly this guy starts shouting at me and all I can tell you is it just, for me, it felt like what must, it must have felt like to encounter one of the prophets of old. I could feel the power. I could feel God doing something in me. You need to go out and see this guy. You need to go out there. You know, the problem is, it's 25 miles outside of Jerusalem. I'm pretty sure, uh, I'm pretty sure not many of us here have walked 25 miles unless you did the St. Jude, walked the St. Jude Marathon, right? 26.2. But apart from that, not many of us have walked 25 miles, much less 25 miles on lousy roads, dusty roads. It's hot. You know, some people had donkeys and horses, not many. So they would have to walk from Jerusalem or some other place, but the population center of Jerusalem to get there. But, but guess what? They started coming. They started coming out. And suddenly there's more and more out there. And, and John the Baptist doesn't even have a parking lot, right? I mean, they're going out there. He doesn't have anything, right? He can't provide water. He can't, you know, he doesn't have anything. It's just him preaching the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. He's out there. And more and more and more people there's a message here for us. Do not despise the day of small beginnings. You know, there are people right now in this room, right now in this room, who when you turn 65 or you turn 53, or you turn 32, the Lord is going to tap you on the shoulder and the Lord is going to challenge you to start doing something. And here's the deal. When He first challenges you, it will seem small and insignificant. And you might think, really, what difference will that make? But let me tell you right now, everything, every big work that God does begins small. Just think about it. Right? Oak trees are the obvious example. There's so many others. Everything He begins begins small. And when He taps you on your shoulder and says, you see this need here in our city? Or you see this need in the church? Or you see this need wherever? Just follow Him. Just follow Him day by day, step by step, 
and remember John the Baptist. He's out there, but he's got no support team. Not until some time later, some, uh, he gets some people show up and decide they, wanna, they don't want to leave. They want to be his disciples. But follow his example in that. And you know, the question we need to think about is, where did John get the courage to do that? You know, the Holy Spirit never makes you do anything. We know that. The Holy Spirit, right? The, the, the Spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. There's other places we can look in Scripture. The Holy Spirit doesn't make you do anything. This is one of the things I love about being a follower of Jesus Christ. God invites us. Jesus invites us. The Holy Spirit invites us. There's no coercion. It's an invitation. And, and we can say no. Right? Whoever that first person was, man or woman, I don't know, that was wandering by, they could have said, There's, that guy looks like a nut. He could be a lunatic. He could be possessed by a... Well, he was possessed by a spirit, right? The Holy Spirit. But they could have just kept going, and their lives would have never changed. Or maybe not till much later. Right? Why did John, where did John get the courage? Where do we get the courage? We're going to get to that eventually. We'll get to that. But eventually, what happens is a delegation is sent from Jerusalem to interrogate John. A delegation is sent from the folks who run the temple, which was a really big deal. The center of the religious life of Israel, the whole nation, and especially, you know, in Jerusalem, the capital city, it's a really big deal. They're sending a delegation out. Why are they sending that delegation out? Why are they even wasting their time? Well, I, it had to be something like this. It's like, wait a minute. Why are these people going 25 miles out through the, through the, you know, the desert wilderness, whatever it was, to hear this guy preach when he's not doing any sacrifices? Like, you know, he's not sacrificing. Uh, uh, you know, there's, there's, no, uh, there's no shelter out there. No place to sit. Why is everybody going out to his church instead of our, our church here where they've been going? And we're right in the center of town. All they got to do is walk a couple blocks and here they are. But they're going 25 miles. What in the world? What's going on with this guy? So, of course, you know, when the people who are in charge, they're not going to go themselves. We all know this. this is, we all, we're all left to know. The people in charge are not going to go. They're going to send their delegation. So who do they send? They send these priests and temple assistants. They, they, send, the lowest, uh, they, they send the lowest folks in their hierarchy uh, so that if they look stupid, it's okay because the big boys aren't going to look stupid, right? Uh, so they send them out. And uh, you know who these guys are? 
that they sent out. These are the, these are the biblical bureaucrats. The theological bureaucrats. They, they've got a list of, of little boxes that they, they have got to check. And they've got to figure out, where, where does this guy fit in our scheme? Where does this, this guy John who uh, is doing this without any authority. We don't know anything about him. How did he get here? Where did he come from? Where does he fit in our scheme? So they, they got their little tick-off list, just like a good bureaucrat, right? And uh, that's the problem. That's one of the problems. It's the main problem. It's, it's their scheme, not God's scheme. It's, it's their scheme. They're not God's scheme. You know, there are, only, there are only two schemes. This is the simple part of the sermon. There are only two schemes. There's God's scheme, and there's our scheme. There's only two. That's it. And what we have to make sure, what we have to make sure we're doing is following God's scheme, God's plan, however you want to describe it. Because here's, here's the good news for us. Um, you know, you've probably seen that thing, the truth will set you free, but first it'll make you miserable. There's some real truth to that. Because if we're following our scheme, God is so gracious, God loves us so much, that he's going to come up and he's going to bust up your scheme. He's going to break it up because it's the wrong scheme and it's leading you in terrible places and it'll get worse and worse the older you get. He's going to break up your scheme so that we can enter into his plans, his scheme, and by the way, Experience the power of His Holy Spirit. So what are, what are, these, what are the questions? What are the questions that these uh, biblical bureaucrats are going to be checking off? Well, uh, okay, Shlomo, give me the first question for this guy. Okay, uh, let's see. Who are you? Who are you? Well, you know what? One, one thing that's wonderful about being filled with the Holy Spirit and being influenced by the Holy Spirit for a long time, um, you're no dummy. John knew exactly what was first on their minds. Is this guy claiming to be the Messiah like so many other bozos during that time? Is he claiming to be the Messiah? John doesn't even, he just goes directly there. I am not the Messiah. Read my lips. I am not the Messiah. Okay, what's, Shlomo, what's the second question here we got for him here? Let's see. Uh, uh, well then, who are you? Are you Elijah? Now that seems like a strange question. Unless you've been studying your Bible a lot, you go, why in the world are they asking about Elijah? Didn't Elijah die a long time ago? Did Elijah die? No, he did not die. He's one of the two people in the Bible who never died. You get an extra dessert this afternoon if you know who it is, right? You get an extra piece of pie if you know who it is. Don't tell me now. Elijah, a heavenly chariot came down and took him up into heaven. What a way to go, right? Awesome. 
Well, at the end of Malachi, the last book in the Hebrew Scriptures, that point, basically the last thing God says to him, which had been 400 years before, was that when the great and terrible day of the Lord is going to come, Elijah will return. Elijah will, will come back. And so they're thinking, they're always looking, where's Elijah? Is Elijah back yet? And actually, the translation here does not help, is uh, it's technically accurate. He says no, but really, he says, I am not. I am not shorter than the first answer. The first answer is, I am not the Messiah. This time he says, I am not. Okay. Next question, Shlomo. Give me that next question. Well, are you the prophet we are expecting? And now his answer is a very terse, no. You see, he's becoming more terse. Because they're missing it. And he's trying to communicate that to them. He says, no, but who's this prophet? Well, way back in Deuteronomy 18, when Moses is giving his farewell speech to the Israelites, um, Moses, uh, uh, Deuteronomy 18.15, Moses says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. And then goes on and says, The Lord said to me, What they have said, I, I will raise up a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell the people everything I command him. I will personally... Deal with anyone who will not listen to the messages the prophet proclaims on my behalf. So they're always looking for the, this prophet, too. All these are around messianic expectations, which they're desperate for on one level, on one level, because of all the promises and all the, all the predictions. And John says, No. Verse 22. Then who are you? Who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? Let me, let me translate this as best I can uh, in Delta speak. Uh, son, we represent some very important people from downtown. And we need an answer about this or bad things might happen to you. That's essentially what they're saying. It's a threat. Like, look. And what's John do? John gives them a clue that they miss completely. You know, when... when when you want the answer to be, when you want the answer to be a squirrel, then that's you're just going to be looking for the squirrel in the answer, right? When that's the answer, when you're looking for a particular answer, you're blinded to other things. You're not open, and they're they're just looking for particular things. They want to know who he is but they're asking the wrong question. And John's trying to help them here. So here's, here's what he says to them. 
They say, what do you have to say about yourself? John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, guys, I'm a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. I'm a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. Here's what he's saying. I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody. I'm a guy 25 miles outside of town telling you to get ready. That's who I am. That's all I am. I'm, I'm a nobody. But they miss it. They miss it completely. And then John makes it plain. As plain as he can make it. Then the Pharisees who had been sent asked him, if you aren't, they go through the list again, their little bureaucratic list, if you aren't the Messiah, or Elijah, or the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? Who do you think you are? That's really the question they've been, the subtext of many of these questions, is not who do you think you are, who do you think you are? That's really the subtext. John told them, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandal. Do you realize what he's saying there? This is easy to miss because of the chronology that John's following. You know, the chronology of the other Gospels is pretty clear. But do you realize Jesus has already been baptized John has already baptized, at this point, John has already baptized Jesus. John has seen the Holy Spirit come down and settle like a dove on Jesus. We don't know if he heard the voice from heaven. And Jesus has already been out in the wilderness and been tempted by the devil and come back. And now, Jesus is in this crowd. There's a big whooping crowd there. And he's there. And John knows who he is. John sees him there. He's, he knows who he is. His cousin, relative Jesus. He, and he knows he's the Messiah. But you know one of the fascinating things here, and this, this just shows, this is something I had never seen before in reading uh, the early parts of John. We know, we know that there is a deep humility that John the Baptist has towards Jesus. We know that. That's claim. You know, he says, Jesus must increase, I must decrease. We know that. But do you realize the deep respect and humility that Jesus has towards John? It's mutual. Because Jesus is in the crowd, but he's anonymous. He's there anonymously. He doesn't say, "Hey, you bozos from Jerusalem, I'm the guy you're lo- I'm the really I'm the guy here. I'm the guy you should be, you know, I'm the guy." No, he doesn't. He hangs back. And you know there, it, it's one more illustration that we see in the scripture of the great restraint that God has. The tremendous restraint that God has towards the human race especially when we're being idiots. There's a tremendous restraint there. 
And Jesus has this, it's not simply a tremendous restraint, but this tremendous humility and respect for John, his relative. You know, John, Jesus, Jesus knew, Jesus knows rather, what John had sacrificed. You know, a virtually positive, John never married and never had a family of his own. We, we don't know what kind of work he would have been doing or, you know, he had a kind of career. All that's out the window. He's only got one purpose in life and he's fulfilling it to start pointing people to the one who's coming to Jesus. Jesus understands all that. And I think Jesus has such a deep love and appreciation for John and his faithfulness that John, John is number two. If he, he John says, oh, no, I'm not number two. I'm like, I'm like number million down here. Jesus, it's all about him. Tremendous humility. And I, I think Jesus has such great respect for that. But back to this question about baptism. What right do you have to baptize? So um, at some point, and right now you realize there's a pastor out there somewhere, probably in the United States of America, that doesn't know that he and his family are going to be coming here. You realize that right now, right? That pastor. We don't, we don't know if that pastor, my guess is, that pastor is, uh, is feeling like, I feel something changing. I feel like the Lord's trying to talk to me. Anyway, keep praying. Every day, be praying that the Lord be working and drawing because that pastor is coming. But let's say, uh, let's say we've got a pastoral candidate and uh, looking good, and then uh, 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 the pastoral candidate says oh, to the session, uh, by the way, uh, one of the uh, conditions of my coming is that everybody here at Woodland who's a member, who's a baptized member, um, has to get rebaptized. How's that going to go over, Jeff? Jeff's not happy with that. That wouldn't go over very well, right? Because you say, well, wait a minute. One Lord, one faith, one baptism? Did he miss that? Or he's saying we need to be rebaptized, which which means he must think for some reason our first baptism was not effectual or adequate, or or is he saying we weren't really Christians when we submitted to being baptized? That we were and that basically we're pagans and we need to get baptized now? Right? It'd be something like that. There'd be a problem. And we check him off the list, right? Well, guess what? That feeling you would have if a pastor said everybody in the church had to be rebaptized, you got a little hint of what these folks in Jerusalem, the religious leaders, felt or thought. When John's out there baptizing, because you know who he's baptizing? Jews. 
He's baptizing Jews. Probably most of them go to the synagogue on Saturday. They go to the temple. They go to the, the festivals the, throughout the year in Jerusalem. These are Jews he's baptizing. What's the problem, Mike? Well, I'll tell you the problem. They did, they did baptize back then. Right? Jewish folks baptized people. But you know who they baptized? They baptized pagans who were converting to Judaism. Those are the only ones they baptized. So essentially, in baptizing, John is saying, you guys have missed something huge. You've missed something huge. You're going the wrong direction. And they have been. They have been for a long time. Because, you know, the Holy Spirit's out there working in this one skinny, scrawny guy, weird dude out there and the Holy Spirit, that big, beautiful structure they've got there, the temple where all the sacrifices are, Holy Spirit's not showing up there. You know why? Holy Spirit's not welcome there. They've got their scheme. They've got their plan. They've got their organization. That's their problem. John is over against every, the way they are doing everything. And they know it, and they feel it. And you know what? They fear it. They fear it. And they should. You know, one person operating in the power of the Holy Spirit is more powerful than any kind of, any kind of heretical structure. Did you notice that John didn't answer their question. They say, what right do you have to baptize? Listen to, listen to what he says again. He doesn't answer their question. <coughs> Excuse me. He says, I baptize you with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize, though his ministry follows mine. I'm not even worthy to be a slave and then tie the straps of his sandal. He didn't answer the question. He didn't answer the question. What he did answer is the question they should be asking. Here, here's, who, here's, who, um, here's who John is. Okay, you, uh, you're, you're, you're pulling up to cross, uh, 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 coming up to the railroad tracks here, maybe on the state, right? Maybe on White Station. You're getting ready to come up across the railroad tracks. And uh, you're, by the way, don't we love in Memphis learning how to work the trains? You know, it's a Memphis thing. But anyway, you pull up, you pull up, you're pulling up, and all of a sudden, ding, 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 flashing lights, ding, 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 flashing lights, the gate's coming down. Tell me something. Do you need to be afraid of the ding, 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 the flashing lights or the gates? Do you need to be afraid of them? Of course no you don't. You know what you better be afraid of? That train is coming down the track. That's what you better be afraid of and respect. Guess what? All John is, what he's trying to tell them is, he says, guys, I'm just the ding, 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 the lights flashing, the gates coming down, because there's one coming down the track that you need to be concerned about. He's coming down the track. 
That's your problem. I'm not your problem. I'm a nobody. That's the guy that's your problem. That's where you better be thinking and focusing of the one I'm pointing to. There is one coming down the track. And you know the fascinating thing? We're in the same position as John the Baptist. We're in the same position. Jesus, Jesus is coming down the track again. He's coming down the track again. And we need, we need to be asking ourselves, where did John get his courage and sense of urgency? Where, did, where do we, where do we get that courage? This is part one. We're going to talk about that next week. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.